Okay, Psalm 54, uh, the New American Standard Bible has these words. The heading for the choir director on stringed instruments, a mascal of David when the Ziphites came and said to Saul, is not David hiding himself among us? Save me, O God, by your name. And vindicate me by your power. Hear my prayer, O God. Give ear to the words of my mouth. For strangers have risen against me, and violent men have sought my life. They've not set God before them, Salah. Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the sustainer of my soul. He will recompense the evil to my foes. Destroy them in your faithfulness. Willingly I will sacrifice to you. I will give thanks to your name, O Lord, for it is good. For he has delivered me from all trouble, and my eye has looked with satisfaction. My eye has looked with satisfaction upon my enemies. Okay, as the psalm opens the heading, that term mascal or however you pronounce it uh, that term is used in each of the headings of the Psalms from Psalms 52 to 55 so it's used in four consecutive songs Psalms in the heading and it is tied with when the Ziphites came the Ziphites the people from Ziph came and said, is not David hiding among us? Now, there are two occasions where the men of Ziph do this with Saul. They go to Saul and say, David is hiding among us. There's an account in 1 Samuel 23, verse 19, and then also in 1 Samuel 26. Now, let's go through overview what happens in these passages and just kind of tell the story. Taking these historical headings here in Psalm 54 as uh, legitimate, as worthy of our attention, in Psalm, in 1 Samuel 23, let's look at 1 Samuel 23 and see what happens. There are, a couple, there are a couple of key expressions in 1 Samuel 23. Uh, really, um, today um, I, I heard in, in uh, I know the Fishers were there as uh, Dan Starr went over some uh, passages about David and Saul in the Plainfield Vacation Bible School. A key passage in the relationship between David and Saul is in 1 Samuel 18, verse 9. 1 Samuel 18, verse 9, where it says, Saul looked at David with suspicion from that day on. That is a key verse in their relationship. Right there, the relationship is broken, and Saul is looking at David as a rival, as an enemy. He's looking at him with suspicion. But another key passage is in 1 Samuel 23 and verse 14. In 1 Samuel 23 and verse 14, David stayed in the wilderness in the strongholds and remained in the hill country in the wilderness of Ziph. 
And Saul sought him every day, but God did not deliver him into his hand. So Saul is viewing David with suspicion. Another step further in this passage, he is seeking to kill him every day, but the Lord does not deliver him into his hand. But in verse 19, this would be a moment of David's betrayal. 1 Samuel 23 verse 19. The Ziphites came up to Saul at Gibeah saying, Is David not hiding with us in the strongholds at Horesh? David's hiding among us. Now one of the things that's really bad about this is Ziph is in the tribe of Judah. David is from the tribe of Judah. Here it is not only his own nation that is betraying him to Saul, it is his own tribe that is betraying him to Saul. And I'll tell you something that makes it worse. In 1 Samuel 23 verses 1 through 10, another city of Judah by the name of Keilah was under attack from the Philistines and David rescued them. David rescues one Judean city, the people of Keilah. They would have delivered David over to Saul too had Saul called him there. But here he goes to the wilderness of Ziph and they come and they betray David. But this story in verses 24 through 29 of 1 Samuel 23 is fascinating. Because this is perhaps as close as David ever comes to getting caught by Saul. The Bible tells us they are going around the mountain and Saul and his 3,000 men are after David and he has about 600 men according to 1 Samuel 22. And they are getting closer and closer in verse 26 says that Saul and his men were surrounding David. They're about to seize him and then in verse 27 a messenger comes and says the Philistines are attacking. And it calls Saul away. And David escapes by the skin of his teeth from the hand of Saul. And they named that place in verse 28 the Rock of Escape. That's the first time the men of Ziph betrayed David to Saul. One of the connections that's made between this incident and Psalm 54 Notice the statement in 1 Samuel 23, verse 15. David became aware that Saul had come out to seek his life. So that expression in 1 Samuel 23, verse 15, that he's come out to seek his life, the Bible says, violent men seek my life in Psalm 54 and verse 3. So that's one point of connection between this historical situation and between Psalm 54. But let's also look in 1 Samuel 26. 
1 Samuel 26, again the men of Ziph betrayed David in verse 1. It says, the Ziphites came to Saul at Gibeah saying, is not David hiding on the hill of Hakalah? So they betrayed David again. This is the time David sends out spies and they see that Saul is coming. And that night they look where Saul and his group camps themselves. And David goes to the camp. And Saul is sleeping in the middle of the camp with all the men around him. And David asks, who will go with me into the camp of Saul? And Abishai, Joab's brother, says, I will go. And so here's David and Abishai sneaking into the camp of Saul. They go through all of this camp. They are right at Saul. Abishai says, let me strike him. I'll only have to strike him once. I'll kill him. And David says, no. We cannot stretch forth our hands against the Lord's anointed. His day will come that he will die. He will die in battle or the Lord will take him. But we cannot stretch forth our hand against the Lord's anointed. But said, you take his spear and you take his water jug. And so they took Saul's spear. They took Saul's water jug. They, they separate themselves a good distance. By the way, it's an amazing thing that they went right into Saul's camp and nobody woke up. The Bible says in verse 12, that was because a sound sleep from the Lord had fallen on them. And they separate themselves and David cries out, Abner, why have you failed to protect the king? And he says, what are you talking about? Who is that? And then Saul recognizes it's David and they begin interacting. And says, look around for his spear and water jug. And I can imagine them start scrambling, looking for that spear and water jug and they hold it up. As evidence, we were right there. We could have killed you. Why are you listening to me and Saul who are trying to tell you that I'm trying to kill you? I had opportunity to kill you. And I didn't do it. But I want you to notice Dave, by the way, Saul acknowledges David, you've been more righteous than I have. But Look at verse 24. 1 Samuel 26, verse 24. David says, Behold, as your life was highly valued in my sight this day, so may my life be highly valued in the sight of the Lord, and may he deliver me from all distress. Now, 1 Samuel 26, 24 those words deliver from all and distress are in Hebrew the same three words those same three words are used in Psalm 54 verse 7 where the writer says that he will the Lord has delivered him from all trouble. The New American Standard translates it. But it's the same Hebrew word. Now, 
Some writers say, some commentaries say, there are really not that many connections between this incident where the men of Ziph betrayed David and Psalm 54. No, they're, they're not just a great number of them. There are a couple. There's not just a great number. But I think the very fact that those cor- points of correspondence are not overwhelming may strengthen the case that the title was original. Because you don't read this and just automatically think, oh yeah, it's when the men of Ziph betrayed David. The very fact the title exists may point to the fact that it is authentic. That it is, this is the historical circumstance that called for it. I have uh, never been in the position where a credible person, a credible threat of someone saying I'm going to take your life but I've known a Christian just minding his own business who experienced that for a period of two to three months and his life was constantly on edge during that time what would it be like is the most powerful person in the nation was seeking your life like that. And what does David do when the most powerful man in the nation is after him and he is constantly on the run and has no place that he can call home This psalm is a picture of what he does. And he begins, Save me, O God, by your name. Now, in the Hebrew text, the first word, and this is demonstrated by the ESV. The ESV has, O God, save me by your name. In the Hebrew text, the name God appears first. When David finds himself in the midst of this kind of trouble, his focus is squarely on God. His focus is squarely on God. Now, it's always easier to say that than to do it. But this gives us instruction of what to do in the midst of such crisis. He looks to God first and foremost and begs God, Save me by your name. Vindicate me by your power. Sometimes we talk about a person's name being their reputation. That's how we use the term a lot of times. A reputation. But in the Bible, it's more of the sense of a person's character, who they are, what they are, everything about them is summed up in their name. The name of the Lord, Proverbs 18, 10 and 11 says, is a strong tower and the righteous runs into it and is safe. But here, save me by your name. Some trust in horses and others in chariots, but we will boast 
in the name of the Lord our God. Psalm 20 and verse 7. Save me by your name. Vindicate me by your power. That word vindicate could be a judicial word, but it can be used outside of a courtroom setting. Uh, vindicate can be, be translated judge, but, but it's used obviously in a sense of giving him victory over his foe. Judge between me and my foe and give me victory. Bring him down. Exalt me. Save me, O God, by your name. Vindicate me by your power. Hear my prayer. Give ear to the words of my mouth. There are a lot of imperatives there. As David is feeling the pressure from Saul, as Saul is closing in on him and surrounding him and is seeking his life every day, save me, vindicate me, hear me, give ear. There are a lot of imperatives as he's begging God to act and act quickly on my behalf. Now verse 3, he explains his opposition. Strangers have risen against me. Now, you might say, how in the world does that apply to Saul? Strangers. And, and some of your translations have different readings there, don't they? What else do your translations have for strangers in verse 3? The NIV has strangers. It does have strangers. The ESV does. ESV, New American Standard. Some versions, do some have arrogant or insolent? <coughs> footnote. footnote to that in the ESV. Uh, but uh, there's a question of what word best translates that. This is the significance of the word, though. That, uh, and there's a question even what Hebrew word that is the root word but but if the word strangers is the best word it is a word that is usually used in the Old Testament of foreigners now that wouldn't apply to Saul if it is talking if it should be translated strangers one writer said this is for emphasis to show just how far they have removed themselves from true covenant relationships they have made themselves like foreigners strangers or aliens now Psalm 86 verse 14 reads almost like Psalm 54 verse 3. This is Psalm 86 and verse 14. O God, arrogant men have arisen, have risen up against me and a band of violent men has sought my life who do not set you before them. Same kind of language, Psalm 86, 14, as found here in Psalm 54 and verse 3. Strangers have risen against me. Violent men have sought my life. They have sought my life. And they have not set God before them. That is an interesting way to describe their relationship with God. They've not set God 
before them. But in these Psalms, throughout this short section, there's often been an emphasis on the wicked and his failure to respond properly to God. Let me illustrate. Look at 52 and verse 7. Psalm 52 and verse 7. Behold the man who would not make God his refuge and trusted in the abundance of his riches and was strong in his evil desire. He did not make God his refuge. Then Psalm 53 and verse 1. The fool has said in his heart there is no God. They are corrupt and have committed abominable injustice. In Psalm 55, Psalm 55 and verse 19, God will hear and answer them. Even the one who sits enthroned from of old, Salah, with whom there is no change and who do not fear God. So several of these Psalms together have mentioned that these people's malicious behavior toward their fellow man comes because they don't set God before them. Because they act as if there is no God to whom they will give an account. They do not make Him their refuge and they do not fear Him. If we have no fear of God, it will inevitably express itself in conduct. I can remember seeing an interview, um, I saw it not long ago, it was from an older teacher at a school at Harvard or Yale. He was not, as I remember, a particularly religious man but he knows the good that religion and Christianity has done for culture. He said you can never have police everywhere. You can never have people everywhere that are legal authority to arrest you. And what do we depend on to make people behave at moments where there's no one there to enforce good behavior? He says, people have been kept in line for generations, for centuries in this country by the belief that when no one else sees, there is a God to whom we have to give an account. He said, as we lose consciousness of that, what impact is that going to have on people's behavior? You can say you believe in God even like Saul. But if you don't keep that constantly before you, if you don't set God before you, it's going to have disastrous consequences. May the Lord have mercy on us all as we live in the midst of a culture that has forgotten Him. So he begged God to save him, begged God to vindicate him. He cried out to God to rescue. And here in verses 4 and 5, he's going to express his confidence in God. Verse 3 mentions his enemies. Verse 5 is going to allude to his enemies again. But right in the middle of this, he says, Behold, God is my helper. 
The Lord is the sustainer of my soul. So in contrast to how the enemies seek to destroy him, God is his help. God is his sustainer. Now, let me make a couple of points. The word soul in the New American Standard, it's translated life in the ESV. But the word translated life in verse 3 and soul in verse 4 of the New American it is from the same Hebrew word. So it makes sense to, to translate the same way, to translate life in both places as the ESV does. Does the NIV do that also? Does the NIV also translate it live? Okay. No. Uh, surely God is my help. The Lord is the one who sustains me. Sustains me. Okay, and that would be a legitimate translation. But I think it's good to indicate that the same word is behind it. But look at the contrast between verse 3 and verse 4. While the enemy seeks to take David's life, while they have sought my life, God sustains my life. The contrast could not be more stark. Now, it is... Also, most Hebrew words in their root have three letters. Now, the word strangers in verse 3, the word translates strangers in the New American Standard, and help in verse 4, these share two of those three letters and so those words sound somewhat alike in Hebrew. I know strangers and helper don't sound alike in English but they sound somewhat alike in the original language and so the contrast is between these enemies who have risen against him or strangers who've risen against him and God who is his helper uses similar sounding words with much different meanings again to show us how God is protecting him defending him and God is the one who sustains him and he says in verse 5 he will recompense the evil to my foes destroy them in your faithfulness What one writer on this verse? I know we've talked about these passages where they ask judgment on their enemies. One writer said this. This is a psalm. He says, because of verse 5, human self-will and man's low instincts of vindictiveness and gloating, and that will be in verse 7, retain their power over his thoughts. This psalm is unable to exercise a liberating influence. That may have sounded good in the insulated study that that person wrote from. If you were David, living in the caves of Judah, and your life is on the line every day, and you refused to take vengeance when you could have, 
You refused to kill Saul when he was a lame duck right in front of you. No, don't stretch forth your hand against the Lord's anointed. His day will come. The Lord will judge him. The Lord will take him into battle. And to trust God enough to do that and just say, God, you destroyed them in your faithfulness. No, that doesn't sound like vindictiveness to me. I, one blessing of becoming older is you keep relearning things you've learned sometime earlier and forgotten. You keep learning new things every day um, only to find out you already knew them. And I know I knew this verse before. I know I've read this verse before. But it really hit me in the last couple of days. Look at Psalm 143, verse 12. It's tied with this idea of destroying your enemies. Let me read verse 5 again. This is, the, this is the English Standard Version. He will return evil to my enemies in your faithfulness. Put an end to them. But in Psalm 143, verse 12... In your steadfast love, the New American Standard has there, in your loving kindness, you will cut off my enemies and you will destroy all the adversaries of my soul for I am your servant. This is a point I'm trying to stress. In Psalm 54 and verse 5, God's judgment upon the wicked, God bringing vengeance upon the wicked and destroying them is a function of God's faithfulness. But in Psalm 143 and verse 12, God's judgment upon the wicked is a function of His loving kindness. Now we don't think of that as being loving kindness. But it is God's loving kindness that destroys evil. We live in a world where wickedness often seems to triumph. And for situations to be put right, oppressors have to be opposed and punished. And they are trusting God, not taking matters into their own hands, but saying, God, in your faithfulness, in your loving kindness, do that. God's judgment on the wicked is an expression of His loving kindness and His faithfulness. And just as most psalms that pour out their grief to God in individual lament, most of them, this psalm is going to end with thanksgiving and praise. In verse 6, Willingly I will sacrifice to you. I will give thanks to your name, O Lord, for it is good. Now, do you remember the name of the Lord was mentioned in verse 1? In verse 1, Save me, O God, by your Name And now in verse 6, I will give thanks to your name. 
This is in a series of Psalms that rarely uses the name Yahweh. And how can you tell in verse 6 that the name Yahweh is used? It's in all capital letters. And so we know the Hebrew term behind it is the term Yahweh. And so it is used in verse 6. This tells us the term Elohim used in reference to God was used in the first four verses. The term Adonai was also used in verse 4, which can be translated Lord. But the... Elohim that he describes who can save him, who can vindicate him, who hears his prayer and to whom he will give thanks in verse 6 is clearly identified as Yahweh. I will give thanks to your name, O Lord, for it is good, for he has delivered me from all trouble. And some of your versions may translate that as past. Some of them may translate that as future. He has delivered me from all trouble and my eye has looked with satisfaction upon my enemies. God has given him victory. He expects to triumphantly look on after his enemies have been brought down. Did that happen in the life of David? Yes. It happened. By God's grace. What questions or comments or ideas do you all have on that text? Anything? Psalm 54. I would, I would just say that in our, in our studies, for example, earlier when Doeg comes and kills 80 priests, uh-huh. uh, it doesn't always turn out good. Yeah, I mean, you, you leave that in the hands of God, but uh, yeah, uh, they had to be crying out to God too. Yes, that is right, and I do think as we see Jesus fulfill these psalms through His resurrection, that we are reminded that they will turn out right, even if they don't end well here. That God will right the wrongs he will repay injustice and he will vindicate those who are innocent again and that's easier to say right now than it would be in the midst of us being led off to slaughter but it's true it's true and and you're right it doesn't mean it always turns out well but it does mean God will ultimately vindicate us. Yes, John. Is uh, is there a a connection in verse six with this uh, thank offering to any of the uh, offerings that we read about, like in Leviticus? Thank offering was a. It falls under the category, the bigger category of a peace offering. And you read about Leviticus 7, beginning around verse 11 or 12, that falls under that bigger umbrella of a, a peace offering. And uh, it was the most holy of the peace offerings, and it had to all be eaten on the day that you sacrificed it. But 
often it, it, the 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 psalm has not made a vow previously, but but here I'm going to give thanks and. Um, Why am I thinking of the word vow? Because it doesn't use the word vow. But uh, is, it, is a free will offering? A votive offering was a different type of peace offering. Okay. Oh, uh, but, but it's still a peace offering. Yes, I may be connecting that with, may have uh, booted into my Deuteronomy 23 uh, <laughs> lesson there. Um, put the wrong chip in that computer. But anyway. But but the thank offering was a thank offering has been mentioned in this context. Uh, I think well, let's see, uh, John. Uh, yes, Psalm fifty verse fourteen. Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving, and pay your vows to God. That might be what I'm thinking. Pay your vows to the Most High. Uh, in verse 23, Psalm 50, verse 23, he who offers a sacrifice of thanksgiving honors me. Uh, so often after a crisis passed, it seems like it was common to offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving. It may be that he vows to God in the midst of this crisis, God, if you deliver me, I'll offer this sacrifice of thanksgiving. Because you see how closely they were tied in Psalm 50, verse 14. That may have been what I was thinking about in just, just a moment ago. Um, and um, But yes, sacrifices of thanksgiving are mentioned in those passages of Scripture and in Leviticus 7 in particular. Yes, Vicki? But in has, I will sacrifice a free will offering. I will sacrifice. Um, I think it, that would be from the word. That word is represented in the New American Standard by the word willingly. It says, willingly, I will sacrifice to you. I will give thanks to your name, O Lord, for it is good. Uh, that um, So that would be... That would be just a different rendering of that word, which can can validly seems like to me be translated either way as I'm looking at it. Okay, the the ESV has something similar to that too. With a free will offering, I will sacrifice to you. I will give thanks to your name. Last night, uh, in going to um, Bargersville to services, I um, had one of those dear people who listens to my podcast. Actually, there, there are a few of them out there. And uh, he listened to a podcast because he had a specific suggestion. And I thought it was a pretty good suggestion. He said, you know what would really help me? He said, i got a suggestion if you go follow it. To read the psalm after you finish the podcast. Now, that's probably not going to be possible with Psalm 119 or, or, or various ones like that. But I think with this one, that's pretty doable. And so, in a way, to summarize this, let's read this again. And we're going to ask our question, how does this apply to Jesus? 
How are we to see Psalm 54 in light of Christ? But let's read this again. For the choir director on stringed instruments, a mascal of David, when the Ziphites came and said to Saul, Is not David hiding himself among us? Save me, O God, by your name. Vindicate me by your power. Hear my prayer, O God, and give ear to the words of my mouth. For strangers have risen against me, and violent men have sought my life. They have not set God before them. Salah. Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the sustainer of my soul. He will recompense the evil to my foes. Destroy them in your faithfulness. Willingly I will sacrifice to you. I'll give thanks to your name, O Lord. For it is good. For he has delivered me from all my trouble. And my eye has looked with satisfaction upon my enemies. Okay. So we we want to ask, how does this psalm, how would the words of this psalm apply to Jesus? And what would you all say about that? Psalm 54 and Christ. So David and Vicky. Uh, first one, save me, O God, by thy name, sounds a lot like into thy hand I commit my spirit. Okay. Save me, O God. And then and you quote Luke 23, 46, into your hand I commit my spirit. Let's come back in a moment and say more about that word. Um, Vicky, what did you have there? Um, the, the whole song could be could have been said by Jesus. The whole song. The whole song. Yeah, I, I I think so. Particularly parts that strike me are parts about um, violent men seeking his life. The thing is, in the difference between David and Jesus, violent men sought David's life. Saul sought him every day. But God delivered him from his hand. Violent men sought Jesus. And he was surrendered into their hands. So Jesus experiences this in a deeper way than David ever did. He faced violent attackers. And in the midst of all his times of crisis, God is his help. The very fact he's praying in the garden, God is his helper. And God is the one to whom he looks. And ultimately, God leads him to look triumphantly over his foes 
in the resurrection. So all of these are applications of this. All of these are. There's more I could say. I want to come back to the, the expression David used. Is there anything else that particularly strikes you all? David? No, verse 6, willingly I sacrifice to thee, and Christ certainly willingly sacrificed yeah. himself. Okay, Hebrews 10, um, 6 through 10. I have come to do your will, O God, and he offers himself as a burnt offering and sacrifice. Yeah, it's pretty powerful. So uh, he gives himself. He is the sacrifice in verse 6. John, did you have your hand up? I did not. Okay. Claire has her hand up. Claire does. I'm sorry, Claire. So that left hand, you know, uh, yes. Um, so you made a reference to Psalm 143.12. Yes. Out of verse 5. And I thought it was interesting. So you said God's judgment is an expression of his loving kindness. And you were talking about his judgment of, of his enemies. But I think the same is also true of Jesus here. God's judgment okay. is an expression of his loving kindness. Absolutely. Very good. The point I hadn't thought of there. So, yeah. So tying... 54, 5, and 143, 12. He kind of cheated, Claire. But, but I tell you what, I'm going to try to remember that when I get to Psalm 143. And I'm going to mention it and act like it's my point. Not even <laughs> but um, God's judgment is an expression of His loving kindness. And certainly that is true with the cross. God's judgment is an expression of of his love and his compassion as he punishes sin in such a way as to save the sinner. Very good. Very good. Now, what I want to go back to is in the, in the, I was looking in the Septuagint and it was using, it starts out, the first word is an imperative and it uses this particular Greek word and it uses it to call out, you save me, O God. Now, to, to show you the, the significance of this, a couple of places that word is used in the New Testament. Probably need more room for this. Okay? But this idea where Jesus is cried out to, or, or save me, O God, not, and, and David mentioned the idea of Jesus crying out to God and saying, into your hand I commit my spirit. But also, in, in Matthew 8.25, in Matthew 14.30, both of the, these deal with scenes uh, in storms um, and, and this is the midst of the storm and they think they're perishing, and they said, Save us, Lord, we're perishing. And here in Matthew 14, verse 30, the context is that you know, Peter says, Lord, if it's you, let me walk to you on the water. And he starts to walk, and he looks at the winds and the waves, and he begins to sink. He says, Save me, O Lord. What's striking about these passages? 
these passages are addressed to Jesus. They use this same word that's used in the Septuagint. And they're addressed to Jesus. Jesus is the God who saves and who rescues. Just like we talked about from Psalm 8 the other night. An Old Testament passage about God is taken and applied to Jesus. But let me tell you some other places this word is used. Matthew 27, 40. Mark 15, 30. And Luke 23, verse 35, 37, and 39. And that term, save, is applied to Jesus. But it's applied to Him when He's on the cross. Save yourself. He saved others. He cannot save Himself. And you see, in address to Jesus by the soldiers, uh, by the Jewish leaders, and by the one of the thieves on the cross, they said, save yourself, save yourself, save yourself in the Gospel of Luke. The one that is God and He is able to save His people from the most desperate and terrifying storm, when He is on the cross, they shout, save yourself. And He does it. He does it. In a sense, those words that they would later say, they say save yourself in these verses, but they would later say He saved others. Himself. He cannot save. God, the one who's God who can rescue from the most violent storm, is the one who does nothing when the cry is save yourself. As God is showing His loving kindness in having Jesus die for our sins. It truly is overwhelming to see how each of these psalms point to Him. Any other thoughts? Russ, would you want to lead us in closing prayer? God and Father, we thank you for the time we've been able to spend tonight looking at Psalm 54. We thank you that you are a God who saves, that we can that we can know you, that we can come to you for help and for for safety when things in our life are going well, and when we have enemies who are coming after us, we thank you that we can come to you and know that you save, and that you ultimately save us from our sin through Jesus and through his death for us. We thank you and just pray that you will bless us and go with us tonight and ask all in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we did have a song left to us on Psalm 54. Josh, are you going to help? Get temporary deep in here. Stand these things up. Um,
I, I tell you what I found out last week. I might turn this. 